Corrupted Rome, Part 2. The saga continues following the theft of Alice's purse, which contained the funds to purchase the Ferrari 512 Berlinetta Boxer, and the question if the robbery was pre-planned. Yeah, it's probably not. Probably just they had seen the welders people coming from the Hassler. Uh, so um, they called me, and it's, they were all upset about it, of course. And, and uh, but I had the travelers' checks numbers, and, and, and I gave it to them. They called the dealer and, and said, you know, we, we couldn't, we lost, we lost the money. We were robbed. And uh, he said, oh, that's okay. We'll sell it to somebody else. I guess not that concerned. Um, they didn't want to do it anymore. It was just too confusing. They had to stay in Rome a few days to go to the embassy to get the passports, etc. Got the money from American Express the next day. That was pretty good. Well, Fritz called his brother Rolf in Zurich, and uh, there was a dealer in Zurich, Otto Dino, interestingly enough, the name of it. Uh, they had a boxer also, a 512, uh, red, red with black, the same, the same setup, same exterior, same interior. So they, they flew from Rome to, to, to Zurich and um, saw the car, loved it, enjoyed the dealer, enjoyed the whole experience. The car was only $2,000 more than the one in Rome. And they, and they made the purchase, and they made the arrangements to, uh, to ship the car back, um, back to the United States, um, probably due sometime in January or February. Well, Fritz and Alice got back to Cohasset, and they were still upset. I mean, that had been a really traumatic event for them. Um, nobody ever re recovered the, the bag or the money or the, or the, or the, um, or the passports, so they had, they had totally disappeared. But we had the car coming. We had the five. We had the five twelve BB coming. Everybody was very excited about that, and it was due in the end of January, beginning of February. Come, came in a ship from from Rotterdam, uh, and um, we had a uh, we had a customer, Brian Hill, who was a import agent, and uh, we had made arrangements for him to clear it through customs. But uh, I really wanted to check out the car after we get off the ships before you know it can be confusing. So I decided to go down um, to Port Newark and arrived in early February with one of my top salesman, Jim Terrio, uh, to check out the car and, and drive it back. So uh, we made the arrangements. We were going down in early February, February 5th or 6th, I can't remember, um, getting right into Logan Airport and then flying down to Newark. The airport terminal was quite close to the port. Uh, and it was pretty easy to clear through customs. Brian had told me just to bring a check to pay the duty and have a bond, uh, and the bond um, was, was to assure the federal government that the car was going to be federalized. If it wasn't federalized and exported back out of the country within the same period of time, they confiscate the car and they confiscate the bond. So it was a pretty expensive uh, mistake. Uh, so we got the bond from the insurance company and we headed uh, into Logan Airport. It had started to snow very lightly, um, no big deal. Got to, the, got to the airport, arrived in Newark, got a cab to the to the port, and it was starting to snow a little more heavily. I said, well, we can still, there was no snow on the ground, really, well, maybe a little. That was okay. So we went into the office, we cleared the car through customs, it was easy, and um, we're going out, the car's in the, in the parking lot right outside the, the, uh, the customs office, and um, we get out there, and it's uh, got about two inches of snow on it. Well, I said to Jim, well, we should, still should try to get this car out of here and get it started. Wouldn't start. It wasn't going to start. So we opened the the rear jack to look at the engine. But what are you going to see? You see, everything looks. You know, it's got six carburetors. 
they're all hidden under air claim, as of course, but the wires all seem to be attached. And as we're looking at it, uh, this guy comes over and goes, you know, you're wasting your time. I said, what do you mean? He said, nobody's been able to start this car. They had to push it off the ship. I said, thanks. Thanks for the heads up on that. So there was no way, there was no way we were going to be able to get it out of there. Closed the lid uh, and we went back into the office. They were closing the port. We, we had to, we had to get out of there. So we decided to go to the, the, back to the airport terminal. There were no cabs. So we started to walk. It wasn't that far, but it was pretty cold. It was starting to snow heavier. And, uh, but a cab picked us up anyway. He was off duty, but he, he figured we'd go to the airport. Pretty nice. He was probably a lifesaver. So we got there. Uh, and the Newport uh, terminal, there were no flights coming in. There were no flights going out. Eastern Airlines. And there was nothing going to happen for at least two days, which is where we're going to spend the next two, next two days in the airport terminal. We joined the Ionosphere Club, this, this little club, so you can get a soft chair and some drinks or something. And uh, eventually the club opened it up to everybody because everybody that was in the airport, nobody was going anyplace. We became kind of friendly with the uh, airport manager. He, uh, they had these conference calls every morning. We went, we went up to one, one morning we went up there and, and listened in and it was all the airports along the East Coast, you know, calling in. Bangor, Maine closed, Boston closed, Newark closed, you know, Baltimore closed, Virginia closed, Atlanta closed. The only one that was open was like Fort Lauderdale. But nobody was going in and out of there from the Northeast, at least. So we were there a couple of days. And, and the airport manager says, there's a train coming up from Washington to Boston. If you want to try to get on it, uh, it, it it'll be, it's the first train since, you know, since the blizzard. He said, if you want to try to get on it, uh, you know, we can get you to the, uh, to the train station. So we said, yeah, we should really try. Jim's wife, um, Sandy, was expecting her third child. And she was pretty far along, so he was kind of worried about that. The storm was a huge storm. It was later, later called the blizzard of 1978. Knocked out power all along the East Coast. Uh, and they lived on the shore in Cohasset. So we had to get back there and see what was going on. Um, I had called my office, of course, told them I was stuck. They had closed. The office had closed because... Uh, the state mandated that there's no nobody allowed to drive on the roads. It was really, it was really, really, really bad. So we got to the train station, and there's just a few people there, and we're waiting and waiting, and suddenly you can have kind of this kind of screeching brakes, or you know, and it, it, you can see something approaching from the south, and and uh, it, 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 all of a sudden this just snow and ice encrusted uh, train arrived. It looked like it looked like it was the Trans Siberian Express. It was it was just full of snow and ice. And it was packed. People were just crammed in there. A few people got off. We got on. Uh, just made it on. Drove. It goes along the Connecticut coast up to Boston. And you could see a lot of houses were off their foundations. Cars abandoned every place. It, it, it was a mess. Finally arrived in Boston. It was a beautifully sunny day. We found a restaurant that was open. It was serving hot soup. They had a gas burner. So and they were giving the soup away. It was, it was really nice. But we had to get to Cohasset. And how, how are we going to get there? Well, it was a boat. It was a commuter boat that went from the South Shore, which is where Cohasset was, into Boston. And uh, so we went down to the wharf where it, 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 uh, it, it docked. And it was leaving. It was the first trip they were going to make since the blizzard had hit a couple of days before. So we got on board along with a lot of, a lot of other unwashed and unshaven passengers and uh, headed south. It was getting dusk. 
It was really eerie because there's no lights. A few people had generators. Nothing happening with Logan Airport, which was across the harbor. Uh, and as we're, as we're going along, you could hear the engine. And occasionally, occasionally the boat would hit a nice flow and there'd be this clunk on the hull. And it was really, it, it, it was like a scene from an Ingmar Bergman movie. It was really eerie. Finally arrived in Hingham, which is the town where the wharf was, and not too far from where my condominium was. So we walked over there. My Alpha, I had driving a GTV6, was, was on the basement floor, which is where the water came in, the tide came in, but it hadn't affected the car, fortunately. So we got in the car and uh, we walked. I mean, we drove to Jim's house in, in Cohasset and uh, his, sorry, his wife, and you know, they were underneath the house with blow torches trying to unfreeze the pipes. Anyway, so I was just spending the next four or five days there. Went over to Auto House, it was a disaster. Automobile dealers hate snowfalls and they really hate heavy snowfalls. And this was a heavy snowfall, at least two, maybe three feet. So they had to bring in the front end loader. You have to move the, first of all, you have to brush off the cars then you have to shovel out the cars and you have to pull the cars out, hoping they'll start. Well, the Datsuns all started. BMWs, no, weren't those cars made in Bavaria? Horrible traction in the snow, at least back then. All the Ferraris had been parked inside, so that wasn't an issue. Eventually, we got we got the place cleared out, and we opened about a week later. Um, and about a week after that, um, the Boxer arrives from from Port Newark. Uh, we had sent we had sent down our uh, most trusted uh, tow company, Ralph Smith. Brought the car in, wouldn't start. Bruce looks at it. Everybody's kind of standing around it. He puts in twelve new platinum plugs. Vroom! Vroom! It started. It started. I said, I got to drive this. I just can't. It's, it's, it's like, I've been waiting for it. You're, you're salivating. Uh, I said, Fritz, let's go. He said, now, we didn't ride together very often. It was kind of rare that we did drive together. And when we did, it was almost me that, that drove. And his driving, well, it, I tell stories about that in the book. He was a very, let's say, an aggressive driver. So I, I took the car. I took the car down the road. And it was, it was just beautiful. I mean, the snow had, was off the road. There was some on the side, so I couldn't wait till it, uh, it cleared up some more. So we had the car. We had the car in our showroom for a couple of months. We had to make an appointment to get it federalized. And this friend of ours, Dick Fritz, who I mentioned in the book, uh, some of the other broadcasts, was um, had this company called Amerispec, and they did that type of conversion. So we, we made an appointment with, uh, with Dick to, to get it done. It was done. We drove it down sometime in July. Actually, we had it towed down and brought it down to a flatbed. Uh, and then uh, it was ready. It took um, maybe six weeks, a lot of money, uh, but finally getting it back. And uh, they really didn't um, They really didn't alter the appearance too much. You know, they had to put safety glass in it. They had to extend the bumpers. And they had to put emission controls on, which is in the form of an air pump. Uh, so not a lot, uh, but a lot of time, a lot of money, and then then you had to submit all the paperwork to the to the federal government to to ensure that they had all been done, and then they'd give you you know a certification that, that the car could be sold or driven on the roads. Uh, so I decided to go down and get it. It was the Merrispec was in Greenwich, Connecticut. I went down with this friend of mine, Dave Briggs, who who uh, who had a Dino actually. Uh, and we drove it back, and the car was just magnificent. It really was. It was a worthy successor to to all the two seaters that had had preceded it. So now we offered it for sale. We had a few of our customers that looked at it and, and 
they, they liked it, they drove it, uh, some didn't drive it, but they still liked it. But nobody was making an offer on it. You know, it was quite a bit more money than the, the other Ferraris that we had, the 308s and such. Uh, I decided to advertise the car in, in the national newspapers, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. And about a week later, I get a call from a fellow in California uh, who was interested in the car. So I described it to him and he said, well, I'm very interested. I, I, uh, I'd like to send my brother up to take a look at it, and if he if, if he likes the condition and the car, they'll buy it. I said, okay. So about a week later, um, this fellow comes in, this kid, I mean, this young young man. Was he even 18? I, I don't know. Uh, but that was the brother. He looked at the car. He didn't want to drive it. He just looked at it, looked it over, you know, and uh, called his brother and uh, said, that's fine. We'll take it. And what he had with him was a some sort of bank draft, a cash, I can't remember the exact title, something we hadn't seen that we didn't use, or the, at least in Cohasset, let's put it that way. Uh, and um, he said, so I called our bank, and our bank said, well, let me show you that we're right across the street. So we brought it over, and they looked at it. They said, they called the head office, and they said, yeah, that's a negotiable instrument, so it's fine. We, um, we said, thanks. Uh, now, he was going to drive it back to the West Coast. And as we're doing all this uh, bank checking and everything, it's, it's starting to snow. It's starting to snow. One of those early off the ocean storms in October. And I said to the young fellow, I said, but yeah, I don't think you should drive this. And I wasn't even sure had, had he even seen snow before in you know, Southern California. Well, no, he said he was fine with that. So we called his brother. His brother said, look, if he, he's a good driver. If he thinks he can make it, he can do it. Uh, let him take the car. So that's what happened. He drives off the off the parking lot out of the dealership in this lightly snowing, you know. That that Ferrari loved snow. <laughs> it was something about it. Uh, about a week later, ten days later, we get a call from his brother in California. Uh, the car had arrived and he loved it. It was as described. It was absolutely perfect. He was he was very very excited and very very thankful. So we had sold our first uh, five twelve Earl Boxer but not our last.